So how do you address a neighbor who is homosexual in a loving way? Just as you would any person who is an unbeliever that you would address. Um, you want to share the gospel with them, build a relationship with them, be a loving neighbor in kind. Okay? So that's, that's my answer to that question. Let's keep on going, okay? So at this point in our country, 19 states have legalized same-sex marriages. 31 states do not recognize same-sex marriages. And forgive me of my pessimistic attitude, um, but I foresee the number is going to increase, that more states are going to accept uh, and acknowledge same-sex marriages. Okay? It, it's, just, it's just a fact. Um, well, I guess it's not a fact, but that's my, that's my assumption. And um, we, are, we are not progressing. We are declining when it comes to this particular issue. So don't think that in the wonderful state of West Virginia, though it, uh, though it might be wild and wonderful and almost heaven, it's not, okay? Um, and West Virginia is going to eventually, I believe, succumb to uh, this issue as well. And uh, we will... This state will recognize same-sex marriages. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But, uh, you know, God still can't intervene. Religious liberty will continue to erode away as a result, and we will be left with difficult decisions ahead of us, won't we? The church is going to be left with very difficult decisions. Are we going to hold to the authority of God's Word when it comes to this particular issue, or are we going to not? What about you? Um, in different writings that I've uh, read, uh, some people, um, those who are the homosexual persuasion or favor that, they, they say that this issue is no longer going to become the litmus test for a true Christian. And I say, no, it is. And this is one of the litmus tests of what a true Christian uh, is in this particular issue. We, th- we see throughout this country, not in just the general society, but also now in our Christian churches, conservative Christian churches. Just recently, a Southern Baptist church, conservative Southern Baptist church in California, um, they finally came out with the statement that they now do accept uh, those of the homosexual lifestyle and, and say that it is biblical and God is okay with it. All right. Uh, and that's just one church. There's many churches across the nation. Denominations have succumbed to this um, idea. And uh, this is an issue. Um, and this really should be about a four-part uh, series. Uh, one dealing with the biblical text, which I'm going to deal with today. So this might be pr- pretty much review for many of you. But I believe that we still, we still need to go back to the scriptures and remind ourselves once again, because as our society bombards this issue onto us, whether it's in our movies, uh, television shows, or whatever, it continues to hit us and hit us, and we need to find support once again in God's word. What does God say about this? Just so you don't think that I'm the only one that's pessimistic when it comes to these issues, I wanted to read a a portion by Robert George, who wrote in the Harvard Journal of Theology. And he says this. I'm going to read a lot, so hopefully you can pay attention. He says this. Already we've seen anti-discrimination laws 
wielding as, uh, welding as weapons against those who cannot, in good conscience, accept the revisionist understanding of sexuality and marriage. A revisionist understanding is basically this, that um, a, a true marriage is just between two partners. That's it. Two partners. All right? Whether they are man, man, woman, woman, makes no difference. Just two partners. Why they say two and not three or four, I don't know, but that's revisionist understanding. In Massachusetts, Catholic Charities uh, was forced to give up its adoption services rather than against its principles place children with same-sex couples. In California, a U.S. district court held that a student's religious speech against homosexual acts could be banned by his school as injurious, injurious remarks that intrudes upon the work of the schools or on the rights of other students. And again, in Massachusetts, a court of appeals ruled that a public school may teach children that homosexual relations are morally good, despite the objections of parents who disagree. The proposition that support for the uh, conjugal conception of marriage, conjugal conception of marriage would be that idea that marriage is between a man and a woman. Okay. Um, that the conjugal conception of marriage is nothing more than a form of bigotry has become so deeply entrenched among marriage revisionists and in our, in our society as a whole that a Washington Post feature story drew denunciations and cries of journalistic bias for even implying that one conjugal marriage advocate was sane and thoughtful. Outraged readers compared the profile to a hypothetical uh, puff piece on a Ku Klux Klan member. A New York Times columnist was called, uh, has called proponents of conjugal marriage bigots, even singling an author of this article, which uh, I'm reading, out by name. Meanwhile, organizations advocating the legal redefinition of marriage label themselves as being for human rights and against hate. And here's something important right here. The implications are clear. If marriage is legally redefined, believing what every human society once believed about marriage, namely that it is male-female union, will increasingly be regarded as evidence of moral insanity, malice, prejudice, injustice, and hatred. So, here's my question. Uh, this isn't a rhetorical question, so I just want to get some quick responses from you guys. Um, why is the study of homosexuality from a biblical perspective such an important issue to examine in this day and age? Why? Why are we doing this? Good. Next, next, Jay. Uh-huh. Okay. Anybody else? Any other thoughts? Why is it important to study this? Mick? I think our society today has gone weak. <clears throat> so I think we uh, need more men in the, in the home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Yes, Jeff. Yeah, there, there's. So yeah. It requires a prophet who looks strange and unusual yeah. to stand where no one else is willing to stand because of the 
right is wrong and wrong is right in society. Somebody has to be there to give the other side. Okay. Keith, you have a final word. Well, I mean, Satan's ultimate goal is to destroy the church, Christ's bride. And how do you, how do you destroy the church? Destroy the families that underlie the church. And even more importantly, you corrupt the family mm-hmm. to change the church so that it's not Christ's true bride. And without that, there is no revelation of God's word mm-hmm. in this world. Good. Um, one, one last question. Um, why, why is the church harping on this particular issue as opposed to, let's just say, lying? Because I got this question from a teen in our youth group. They didn't come up to me. They, they texted it to me. So I actually, so let you, to let you know, this lesson that I'm giving you now, I already gave the teens. All right, so sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> I added a little bit more stuff to it. But, um, and this is a question. I had a question and answer time, and I allowed the teens to text me the uh, questions that they wanted. I probably won't do that again because um, I wasn't sure if they were on ESPN or something else. But, uh, so, one of the questions was well, why in the world are, was the Christian church harping on this and not like lying or these things? Yeah. Well, I think that we agree that lying is wrong, but homosexuality has become one of those topics where we're not so sure anymore that it's wrong. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, this is the this is the issue that's being for, nobody's forcing. Well, maybe some, but nobody's forcing that. Hey, it's good to lie. And we should just lie to everybody. Nobody's, nobody's pushing that agenda. But what is the agenda that's being pushed is that um, not only do you need to be tolerant, which they have a definition of t- difference in tolerance, not only do you need to be tolerant to my position, they take tolerance a different step and say that you need to be accepting of my lifestyle. And I would say, no, that's not how we define tolerance. Tolerance is, <laughs> well... Uh, I, I can disagree with you, but I'm not going to accept. Uh, um, and I can still have a relationship with you, yeah, loving kind of relationship. Anyways, you're right. But I want to tell you this, that the main reason, and all these were good, uh, but the main reason that we need to talk about this, or this issue is that it is a gospel issue. This is a gospel issue. I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. See, if we can't define what sin is, then we won't be able to define the gospel. And we'll actually have no gospel at all. <coughs> 6 9. Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. And he says this. Uh, this is in the NASB. Um, For some reason, I couldn't find my ESV. So, next best thing. All right. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. Simply translated, won't be saved. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, 
nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So when Paul deals with the issue of homosexuality, and we'll talk about the effeminate and the homosexual words later on in just a bit, because this is important. Does anybody, does anybody know Greek in here? Jeff does a little bit. Okay, for those of you who don't, you need to know these two Greek words when it comes to this issue, and we'll get back to those in just a bit. But Paul here declares that there were some people in the Corinthian church that were homosexuals. Okay? But what happened? They were washed. They were regenerated. They were justified. They were saved. This is a gospel issue. Paul says that those who, uh, I would say, live this lifestyle, live this lifestyle as a homosexual, lesbian, whatever, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But if we call that which he says, um, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God, if we call that okay, we are losing the gospel because we are not, we don't know what sin is anymore. And I want to I venture out and say this, that once a church, once a church capitulates on this topic, it is only a matter of a generation or two when they've totally lost the gospel. I mean, it was always there in the Bible, but I mean, they've always, they already lost it when they, they capitulated on that. But when they totally lose it, only a couple generations. We've seen that in many denominations. Anglican, Episcopalian, some of you might think, well, they probably didn't have the gospel anyways. Well, yeah, it might be true. But, uh, but our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, not, not all Presbyterians. There are some very good conservative uh, Presbyterians, the PCA, the Orthodox Presbys, um, that are very conservative when it comes to these matters. Methodists, not all Methodists believe this. Okay. This is a gospel issue. So what, we, what I want to do is quickly, and when I say quickly, it's going to take a long time, so we probably won't finish. Okay, I, I, I want, and I think it's very helpful, and we need to, we need to take a big, quick survey of this issue in, in the biblical scripture. So the first thing that we need to do is look at God's intended design. Look at God's intended design. All right? Um, what in the world? This may, this may be a review, like I already said, um, but... We need to have a good, concrete idea of what in the world God says. And I think Pastor Van already mentioned this a little bit. Uh, what is God's intended design? Uh, Genesis 2, 18 through 24. I was going to read all that, but I'm not going to. Uh, so we can get through this a little bit quicker. God's intended design. You can look at Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 24 later. His intended design was between a man and a woman. That is the natural order. And uh, that is the intended design. So, during the entire creation account, when God created something, it was good. It was good. Everything was good in creation, with the exception of one thing. And that was that man was alone. That wasn't good. God designed the man to have a helper. 
Okay? Another observation from this passage is that God intended a specific kind of helper or marriage partner for Adam. Now, remember, all the animals were brought before Adam and he had to name the animals. And it was found within all the animals there was not a suitable helper. And I say, praise God, there wasn't a suitable helper. <laughs> you know? Okay. Anyways. <laughs> So what happened? Therefore, God, listen, intentionally, thoughtfully, carefully, and specifically designed a suitable helper for man. And that was woe-man. Okay? It was woman. God's intended design for an intimate relationship is only to be found between a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. Anything else is out of God's intended design. Therefore, it's a... Sin. That would include adultery. Uh, that would include homosexuality. That would include any sexual deviant that is not part of this intended design. So our world has fallen way short of God's intended design when it comes to marriage and monogamous male and female relationships. So, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Let's start by looking at the first place that it's, that it's mentioned. And that is Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? Uh, You probably know the story, so I'm not going to read that either. Uh, But the story goes like this. Two two angels or messengers come down to Sodom and Gomorrah to um, observe, to see what's happening, and then to eventually judge Sodom and Gomorrah. The two angels go, and they're going to sleep in the square for that evening. Well, Lot sees them. He's at the gate in a prominent kind of position. He says, no, 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 don't sleep in the courtyard. You need to come with me and stay with me. Nope, we're going to stay in the courtyard. And he says, no, grabs them and drags them into his, I don't know if he drags them, but he brings them into his house. Well, earlier that, later that evening, a mob of It says this in the text. You can look at it again. It would be good for you to look at it. A mob comes of both young and old. All the men in the city of Sodom come to that house. And they say to Lot, bring those men out that were there. And Lot says, no, 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 no. No, don't do this evil. Don't do this evil um, to these men. And let me, let me read a section if I can find it here. Uh, it says, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand this. Anyways, he says, don't do this evil, evil I beg you. Verse 8, behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Let me just make a quick comment here. I just think this is a true commentary of our society with that phrase of what the men of Sodom just said. He said, what? You come to us, sojourn with us, spend time with, live with us, and you are going to be our judge on what morality is? And that's how I see, for the most part, in our broad society that, that we, um, Christians, are 
are the judges. We are, in a, in a sense, lot. And our society is pushing on us when it comes to that. Um, then they pressed hard against man, uh, the man Lot and drew near uh, to break the door, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Can you picture this? This is what happens. The men are trying to barge through the door to get to these two men to fulfill their sexual desires. And then the angels blind them. I don't know about you, but the first thing I would do is be running for my mama because I just was blinded by these two men. But what do they do? They are trying to find this door because they want to go after those men. That's incredible. The, the wickedness within this city and also Gomorrah as well is unreal. And it's plain to see that in this count that the people of Sodom were corrupt. The men that surrounded the house didn't want to just get to know. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Get to know who these two men were. The phrase get to, know of, uh, get to know them is just a euphemism in the Bible. The men of Sodom wanted to have sexual relations with the two men. The incident showed the depths of sin that Sodom and Gomorrah were drowning, drowning in. Now, there are some people, when it comes to this particular passage that you need to know about, there are going to be some people who, who will say that, no, 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 no. See, see it says in Ezekiel chapter uh, 16, 49 through 50, it says this, Behold. This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So they'll say that the sin of Sodom wasn't homosexuality. The sin of Sodom was that they weren't hospitable to people. But let's stop here. I think we need to agree and say, yes, you're right. That is true. However, this one little phrase right here, it says, um, and they committed an abomination before God. The abomination that they committed before God is played out in Genesis chapter 19. Not only was it an issue of of hospitality and treating the needy and poor in a, in a wrong manner, but it was also the fact that they were so corrupt that their sin led them to gross um, acts as this in Genesis chapter 19. Now, Jesus mentions the Sodom and Gomorrah, that Sodom and Gomorrah will be punished in the future, but he doesn't say anything about their particular sin, but they will, will be punished in the future. And in Jude 7, Jude explains that Sodom and Gomorrah will, will face eternal fire because of their sins, which he includes there is homosexual acts. In verse seven it says, uh, well, verse seven of Jude says, "Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve an example of under, undergoing a punishment of eternal fire." So they pursued unnatural desires, which is a reference to homosexuality. So let's take a quick look to some explicit examples in the Old Testament. Okay, what does the Old Testament say? Are there explicit examples? Uh, Leviticus 18, 22, 20, and 13. All right, real quick. 
Um, Le- Leviticus 18.22 says you shall not lie with a male with, uh, as with a woman. It's an abomination. Uh, Leviticus 20.13 says if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Deuteronomy 23.18 says you shall not bring the fee of a prostitute and the wages of a dog. And the wages of a dog is a, a phrase uh, referencing male prostitution. So the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord, your God. The male prostitution back then could have been a hetero or homosexual um, prostitution. So uh, I think the Old Testament's pretty clear on what it says about the issue of homosexuality. Okay? I, I don't think that I have to convince anybody here about that. Uh, New Testament. Does the New Testament say the same thing? Some people... Uh, Some will try to pose that there's this trajectory hermeneutic where, yeah, in the Old Testament, it's pretty hardcore, homosexuality is wrong. However, as we get to the New Testament, there's this this trajectory where it's going to go and say that, you know, homosexuality might be okay. And it's a little bit more favorable to homosexuality. Okay, well, let's just take a look at that real quick. Romans chapter 1, 24 through 27. Um says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, lesbianism, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women, and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. I think Paul's fairly clear with this issue. Um, This is the only place in Scripture that uh, lesbianism is really mentioned explicitly, uh, just to let you know that. Um, Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. We already addressed that and looked at that a little bit. Okay, so I'm going to kind of skip over that, at least the reading of it. However, I want to look at two, two Greek words when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, uh, that I think are important in this discussion, because it's brought up often. Um, so, for instance, uh, I was watching Larry King live, it a, I think it was on YouTube on a uh, rerun, uh, and there was a prominent Christian singer who came out, came out of the closet. There was another guy, another guest. He was a pastor, and he, in some sense, was trying to call her to repent uh, from the direction that she was going. And in the midst of the conversation, this Christian singer asked the pastor about these two Greek words here. And she said, well... Is that really the right translation? Uh, Because in that day and age, they didn't really have the same concept of homosexuality that we did today. So it is appropriate to use the translation homosexuality as opposed to maybe something else like um, soft or uh, effeminate or um, uh, male rape. All right. And the sad thing is, is that the pastor who had a master's degree, uh, probably a master's of divinity, uh, did not have any response to this 
to this woman. So here are the two Greek words that she was re- uh, referencing. Uh, malakos. Okay, malakos just means, it has the meaning, well, you can almost see that. That's Sam right there. Same, okay. Soft or to be passive in same-sex relations. Okay. Um, passive in same-sex relations. The other word that's used there is uh, arsenikoites. All right, and that means to be the aggressor in the same-sex relation. All right, and and these definitions come from the um, the best Greek lexicon. You could just make a Greek dictionary. All right, um, Greek lexicon that is out today, and it is true. So the question, if you were asked this question, really is that that's not even a good translation of these words. And you look at the person and say, you know, yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right. And let me tell you where this word arsenikoites right here is probably Paul the Apostle coined this. I think this is the first time in, um, in the first century or anywhere that this word was used was in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, arsenikoites, um, Paul being steeped in the Old Testament. Okay? Back then, what they read was the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that's what they read. He was steeped in the Old Testament. And what I believe that he did, and many other scholars believe this, I'm not saying I'm a scholar, but many other uh, Bible brains out there believe that... Uh, what Paul was doing was he was going to Leviticus 18.22 and he brought two words together to form a new Greek word. So right there you have the, in the yellow arsenos, which means man, and koitain, uh, koitain which means a, a marriage bed or something like that, lying in the marriage bed. And he brought those two together to form a word. Now, what is Leviticus 18.22? You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. We also find the same thing in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. We find, if I have a little pointer here, we find these two words here in Leviticus 20, 13. What does the Leviticus 20, 13 talk about? The same exact thing. What was Paul doing? He was using these two words and brought this word together and it refers to homosexuality. That's what it is. That's what it means. Okay? Okay, questions. All right, good. Um, I want to address a couple questions and then open it, open it up to you guys in the last few minutes. Uh, see if you have uh, any questions when it comes to this particular issue of homosexuality. I'm not saying that I have the answer for it, but uh, we could at least open it up for questions for a little bit. Okay, surely, surely... A same-sex partnership is okay if it's committed and faithful. Okay. Um, so this is, this is being promoted by those who... And man, I, I absolutely want to be sensitive when it comes to this whole particular issue. We have Christian brothers and sisters who are struggling with same-sex attraction. And I, I don't come to this, I don't come to this uh, particular issue and think, well, it's just a choice. You just chose this. 
you know what? I come into the argument and discussion assuming that they didn't choose this. And in fact, all the testimonies that I've listened to and read, nobody says that I chose this. One testimony I wanted to show, but it was too long, of a guy at a church down in South Carolina um, who is under the ministry of J.D. Greer, if you know him, a very conservative, great Bible teacher. Um, he gave his testimony sharing that I didn't, I didn't, why would I want this? I hate this. I've prayed so much to get this off of me that I would have the, the natural desires that I should have. Uh, so I think that we as Christian believers need to uh, back up a little bit when it comes to the whole idea, oh, you chose this. I, I should also say that it is, it is possible that some people do cho- choose this lifestyle. Okay? Um, and I, I don't want to assume that I know where these things come from. Is it genetic? Is it this? Is it that? Really, it makes no difference to me if it's genetic. Because in me, I have laziness in my genes. All right? <laughs> I, I have a propensity towards laziness. I have a propensity. Yes, uh, I don't know why you're cheering about that, but uh, <laughs> I have a propensity towards anger. Okay, you might think you, you're, Pastor Mark, you're so calm and patient. No, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I have propensity towards particular. I have propensity to. Um, to the opposite sex, all right, and trying to fulfill those desires. We all have these kind of propensities. You can say that they are genetic. Alcoholism has been aligned with a genetic uh, thread. Oh, it's in your genes. You're alcoholic. Oh, really? Okay. Does that make it good? Is anybody promoting? Well, if it's in your genes, then you just need to fulfill that. Drink away. No, 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 no. And forgive me for making light of that just a second. All right. Nobody would say that. So surely a same-sex partnership is okay if it's committed and faithful. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't know if you know what happens there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, we have a situation where a guy and a gal get together and they're doing some things they shouldn't. We find out that it is a guy and his mother-in-law who are getting together. And the church in, the, uh, in Corinth, they are promoting it. They're like, yeah, that's good. We're free, free in Christ to do these things. What does Paul do? Paul doesn't come into the situation and say, well, are you, are you faithful and committed to one another? Are you, are you, is it a loving relationship? Well, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He says it's wrong. Kick them out of the church. Why are you promoting this Corinthian church? Makes no makes no difference if it's a loving relationship, if they're faithful, if they're committed to one another. Those are great things, but can't we do loving and can't we be committed to something? Can't we be faithful to something, yet it still be wrong? Yeah, yeah, most certainly, most certainly we can. Um, For example, a married man can have a committed, faithful, and loving relationship with another woman who's not his wife. But is that okay? Well, no. No, it's not. No, it's not. Well, that's, that's that question. So, no. But Jesus never mentions homosexuality, so how can it be wrong? Well, there we go. 
Okay? So what do we do about that? Why in the world didn't Jesus mention homosexuality in any of the Gospels? You know why? It's, sim- it's simply this. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. He was steeped in Jewish first century culture, and they all knew it was wrong. Uh, Jesus was committed to the authority of the Old Testament. And it is clear that it's wrong as we looked in the um, examples back there. Um, It was not an issue in the Jewish context of the first century. He also didn't mention these things. Jesus didn't um, mention bestiality, incest, polygamy, uh, pedophilia. But we wouldn't conclude from his silence that these things are then okay. So positively, Jesus did do something. He did this. He affirmed the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. If you look at Mark chapter 10, verses 7 through 12, you don't have to turn there, but you can. I'm not going to, I'm just really just mentioning it. Um, he goes back to the created order and says, it always has been male and female. The man leaves his family, cleaves to his wife. So he affirmed that. All right. Um, Can Christians agree to disagree on this issue? No. Why? Because it's a gospel issue. Because it's a gospel issue. Okay? We do not agree to disagree. We will absolutely just disagree. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's stop here for a second. Does anybody have any particular questions that they want uh, to say or maybe comments or anything like that? Yes, ma'am. Um. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely does teach that the sexual sin is against the body. Um, is there, are there degrees of sin? Um, in some sense, no. And in some sense, yes. When it comes to the whole issue of um, if, if I just lied, that would still condemn me. James uh, chapter 2 says if it, you disobey one of the laws, you're guilty of everything. However, um, there are sins, I would say, uh, that are a greater degree worse than other sins. And I think that homosexuality um, might be in that list. Whether it's the top or not, I don't know, but it's, it's not good. Jeff? What's that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that's what he's saying in that passage. In the context of someone who is different physically. Good. All right, let me, let me scoop uh, past you real quick. What do you do if you struggle? What do you do if you struggle with same-sex attraction? All right. Notice I say same-sex attraction and not homosexuality. Um, And the reason I do that is this, because homosexuality is an identity that you're identifying with this lifestyle, whereas same-sex attraction, I mean, maybe this is just semantics, but it's important to me, but same-sex attraction has the idea that I'm struggling with this particular issue, but it doesn't define me. 
Okay, what do I do if you struggle? Well, here's, here's some things. Um, one is, desires do not define you. Desires do not define you. You have wrong desires, but they don't define your life. So don't allow this sexual desire to define who you are. You are a believer in Jesus Christ if you put your trust in Christ. Uh, Number two, you need to talk with a pastor, counselor, church leader about this issue. You need to come out. And you need to talk with someone. You need to get help um, and encouragement and accountability with this issue. Okay? Um, Number three, and this was for the teens, okay? Uh, You need to talk with your parents and get accountability. There's any of our teens that might be struggling with this particular issue. Need to talk with your parents. Tell them what you're facing. And your you know, mom and dad, you might, if that would happen, what do you need to do? Lovingly support and help your child when it comes to this particular matter. Okay? So, what is the call? It is a gospel issue. A person that's faced with this, and they have these desires, but they say to themselves, I can't get rid of them, so God expects me then to live uh, a life of celibacy, uh, where I can't have a loving relationship like this my heterosexual friend over here has. He has a loving marriage relationship, and I can't have that. I can't. Say, one, yes, you can. You can get married to a... A woman. Two is this. Yes, that's exactly what what we would be saying in a loving, kind way. The call to be a disciple of Christ is not one of ease and simplicity. But He says, "What? Take up your cross and follow Me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Me." And they might say, "Well, you've never had to do that." I do it every day as I resist the temptations in this world and society. If I was left to do what I wanted to do, I'm not going to tell you what I would do. (laughs) Okay. So, um, follow hard after Christ. Church, we need to love our homosexual neighbor. And I, I can't even begin to address the issues. Well, what if we have a homosexual couple that comes to our church? How do we deal with that? Uh, these kinds of things, these kind of details that might be coming along and will come along. Uh, we need wisdom. We need to love these people. We need to love them to Jesus Christ, that they might turn, repent, put their trust in Christ. Does that mean once they get saved, they're going to come out of this lifestyle? Well, they might come out of the lifestyle. But I'm not saying that the desires that they have will immediately be done away with. Or maybe ever. It's never promised that our wicked desires will be removed in this life. But in the future they will. Father, I just ask that you would help us to think hard and well when it comes to this issue of homosexuality and how um, we uh, interact with... Uh, those who are homosexual, uh, unbelievers, and those who are believers in Jesus Christ who are struggling with these desires that they have. And I pray that you would give them grace and you would give us grace 
when it comes to interacting with them. And I, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.